Welcome to another exciting episode of the Business of Digital podcast, featuring your hosts, Matt Siltala and Dave Rohr. Hey guys, excited to have you here on another one of these Business of Digital podcast episodes, and um, today we have a fun one. I I know this is going to be a fun one because we always chat with uh, each other and our guests uh, if we have them beforehand and before we start recording, and um, today we have Sean McGinnis with us, and uh, Right now, I'm just going to kind of just pass it over to you, Sean, because you have a title that would make me lose my breath. And so <laughs> I'm just going to pass it over to you and just let us know what you want uh, the people to know about. And then we'll talk about what we're, why we have you on today. But, but again, thank you for being on with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here, Matt. I appreciate it. So uh, technically, my title is Senior Vice President, Head of Marketing, E-Commerce, and Customer Experience at a direct-to-consumer company called Kuru Footwear. <laughs> we are a uh, D2C e-com player in, based in Salt Lake City. We've been around for over a decade, and we sell shoes that help customers eliminate foot pain. That's beautiful, actually. And you have that down, too. Yeah, well, I've said it a few times. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that, um, and again, I, you know, I think we got Dave on here somewhere over there if he's not, like, flushing spiders or something. <laughs> but uh, killing, killing, killing insects that are driving me crazy. <laughs> But um, I know that Dave wanted to have you on, Sean, um, to talk specifically in-house and uh, get into all that good stuff. We've got a ton of notes to go over, so I'm going to kind of just hand it over to Dave and let him jump into what he wanted to chat with you about, and then uh, we'll go from there. Sounds good. Well, just additional context. So this is part of a series where we're talking to um, leadership executives, um, founders at agencies, and some in-house positions across the board and really digging into building marketing teams or even just digital teams or dev teams. And, you know, I mean, like Sean's over, you know, eight different things or four different things right now. He's been over lots of different teams in the past. And the whole goal is to really dig into one aspect each time with one person. And with Sean, who's done this quite a few times, building and hiring digital teams is kind of where we're going to focus today. Because, Sean, you've done that at Sears. Yep. You're doing it now. Um, where was the place you were just at before? Well, Clear, Clear, Link. Clear Link and then Kelly Co. Yeah. And Kelly well, Co., you did the same thing. Yeah. Well, clearly Sears didn't listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> if they would have, they would still... <laughs> anyway. It's just one, one... You were at what? Sears Parts? Parts Direct. Pl- yeah, Sears Parts Direct for uh, about two and a half years. Yep. I was brought in to lead the marketing function there and wound up in um, bringing some of that in-house that was previously with an agency. Interesting. And I guess at a very high level, what is your... How do you approach when you're brought in or when, when or even when you're talking to someone? If they start talking about their... They're a small company and they're growing or they're a big one and they're having problems, you know, like like the Sears was. Um, You don't have to give exact examples of anyone along the way or past. Um, But what's your just overall approach when you start talking to someone or start looking at a new project? Yeah, the, I mean, I love digging in to the specifics of each business and, and each business is certainly different, right? And so you, I think it, it helps to understand where they are at in terms of their maturity, what their objectives are from a growth perspective, looking at and understanding what their strengths are today from a channel by channel perspective. Um, and from there, I think it's, it's, I don't say relatively easy, but it's that is the foundation upon which I like to build 
sort of a go forward plan. Um, and so understanding, you know, how strong are you in SEO today? What's the content structure look like? What, where, you know, what have you tried in the past that worked and, and, and or didn't work? Um, where are you spending money today in media? What's working? What doesn't work? What used to work for you? Where, where does all that go? And then trying to evaluate both the existing talent pool that's in-house and the existing um, relationships that, it, that, that are in place from an agency perspective or freelancer perspective. Do you have a preference of where pieces are? Do you care if it's in-house, if it's on your team specifically, if it's a, an asset or someone that works somewhere else in the company, but that your team works with, or if it's, you know, a consultant, does it matter to you? Or is it just a matter of the ROI and getting, getting things moving? Yeah. I, so I'd say my, my default MO is to prefer hiring internal employees when it makes sense to do so. Um, it doesn't always make sense to do so. Um, Kuru is a really good example of that, right? When, when I joined, we were coming off of a year with a, a kind of a full service digital agency that was kind of doing lots of different things. And the agency was starved for strategy. They weren't getting what they were looking for from the company. And um, I saw just a ton of opportunity to hire experts um, and to have people working within certain channels, right? So um, I did a little bit of stuff on my own um, and, and embarked on, I immediately opened up three positions, um, hired a new e-com manager, a new paid social person, a new paid search person. Um, at the same time that that happened, um, you know, I, I always view shopping engine stuff as just so freaking complicated that I just don't even want to mess with it. And so that's an example where there's enough expertise and, and so many experts that are out there and available that it's better to probably outsource some of that um, to a specialist who really understands the ins and outs of that channel. And so at the same time I was bringing those sort of paid social and paid search functions in-house, I was outsourcing to another agency that specific thing. While that was happening, we lost our email person, but he was willing to stay on as a freelancer and continue to manage for us for an hourly rate. So I've got this weird mix right now where emails handled as an outsourcer, um, a freelancer, if you will, pay, uh, paid uh, the shopping engine stuff is being handled by a best in class agency and you know, content creation, e-com, uh, paid search and paid social is being handled mostly by internal folks with a little bit of outsourcing help from uh from the creative side of things honestly i think um stuff like that or, or situations where that's the case like i think that you're getting the best of both worlds i mean that's not i i've you know we're, we're you know i look at uh, us from an agency point of view and and the things that we'll do that we work side by side with like another agency that most people would think well you're a competitor why are you doing um why are you teaming up with them well we know that there's a specific thing that these guys are really good for sure. or whatever. And I think that uh, when you realize that or you get to that level, you're just, you know, your client or you in, in this situation, you're the ones winning from something like that. I think it's kind of a cool, I mean, a lot of people might look at it complicated, that it is complicated, but you figured it out. And I personally think that's kind of cool and kind of how we've done a lot of stuff too. 
Yeah, the thing that I I found through the years that is um, probably most, um, I'll I'll say personally frustrating, because I don't know how else to put it. Um, (laughs) So I'll go back to my time at Sears, right? Okay. So I joined Sears as um, head of marketing over a really tiny little rounding error of a business, right? But if you had spun off that business, it would have been like internet retailer top 150. (laughs) Right, yeah. So I viewed myself as sort of CMO of that company, even though I was a director level employee. And I had never done any paid stuff at the time. I'd never really done e-com or even B2C. Um, But I came in and inherited this relationship with this agency. And I started to question, like, what is the value of what they're actually delivering for us? And so um, went to my my P&L owner, the guy who ran the business, and said, hey, you know, one of the things that I'm a little concerned about is we're spending a bunch of money in this channel and we have no in-house expertise. We're relying completely on this, you know, Gartner top right quadrant, best in class, you know, paid search agency. And he's like, you know what, but throw, throw together a business case and let's see what happens. And so I asked that agency for a time study and um, for a lot of money, <laughs> I won't get into specifics. Um, I was getting 45 hours a week worth of work on my account. And of those 45 hours, 26 hours were devoted to meetings and reporting. So I'm getting like, let's call it generously, let's round up and call it, I'm getting 20 hours a week, about half an FTE worth of actually trying to move the needle in my paid search account. The paid search account was healthy. It looked really good, right? The ROAS was strong. The, 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 The performance looked really good. I fired the agency and hired two full-time people for less, you know, for yeah. a fraction of what I was paying the agency. I got 80 hours a week worth of work. And the first thing my expert did was to delete 900,000 unproductive keywords from the account. 900,000. Correct. 900,000. 900,000. Okay, to be fair, how many SKUs-ish were there? Uh, 8 million. Yeah, okay. Still, that's a but, ton of keywords. <laughs> so we had about 1.2 million keywords in the account. And so three-fourths of those keywords were driving no clicks or no sales. And, and that team of two then went and embarked on a, com- a massive account restructure. And we grew revenue 40% year over year. So I spent less money administering the account, grew the channel 40%. Um, crushed, you know, on a, on a leaner, smaller account structure. Um, doing the right things at the right time and, and was willing to take that risk even though I'd never managed paid, right? So, of course, my boss's boss's boss was like, that's a good outcome. Go do that for all the businesses that I lead. And so we built a team of 12 to go do that internally. Um, it was the last thing I did before coming here to Salt Lake City. And here's the kicker. Within a year, they had undone everything that I had built and gone back to the agencies that had underserved them in, in, in the past. And so the, the, the main question that I always ask is, you know, are you, what's, what's driving that decision, right? The, the, the counter arguments from my perspective were I'm getting not a lot of service. The whole sort of agency model was designed in that world to um, push the work down to the most junior players as humanly possible, get paid a lot of money and do as little work as they could get away with doing. And, and for a fraction of what I was paying that agency, I got to have two full-time people doing four times the amount of work that I control their hours and I could go manage their, the output. And I would rather be held accountable to go do that. Um, the counter argument to that was, well, wait a minute, we're getting best in class thinking from the agency. They're, they're doing this work for 50 clients or 150 clients or 1500 clients. 
and they're going to apply the, all the things they learned from all those customers to our account. Um, while theoretically true, I've just never seen that actually happen from an agency. Typically, that level of knowledge and understanding resides with people like us <laughs> who've been around and have been doing this for so long. Um, I find that you know to be not necessarily... You've got to have a really strong process where you're applying those things that are that are you're learning from other clients to to every client. I don't know. I, I just I part of me wonders whether some of these bigger um, brand marketing directors are just not equipped or afraid to manage people. Or it reminds me, and maybe Dave can speak to this, but it reminds me of conversations that Dave and I have all the time about just this thing where where they would always uh, handcuff Dave in 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 a lot of those situations. But. Sure. But I don't know uh, on that. Now you, I, I know that we, uh, you know, that answered a lot of the questions that that uh, that we had uh, laid out. But I don't know if Dave has uh, any follow ups with some of those. I do, and it's around generalist versus specialist. So you mm -hmm. keep talking about hiring, like either internally or externally, best in class, or getting rid of best in class, depending mm -hmm. on you know what you're actually getting as far as. Um, output, but what is your take on hiring? If say you're building a, you know, a Kuru or at any of the places, do you look at generalist versus specialist when you look at resumes, when you look at their skill set, when you're looking at channels, is it just more about their background in email? Is it more about their background in social, if that's what you need, or is it just a general in curiosity and they get conversion they get this so really wherever i plug them in as a generalist it doesn't matter if they don't understand the nuance of paid they can do it yeah how do you approach that yeah generally speaking i like to hire specialists for sure um, i think that each discipline at least within certain um constraints right so i for the paid search position i mean <clears throat> it's a little bit different with the paid search because i've been around the block so long and know so many people actually the paid search is a really good example of a weird hybrid relationship that i've got built up so um you know i approached some people that i know as freelancers and i didn't want to pay the full rack rate to have them manage the account across the board so i hired someone who has two years of paid search experience um but also has also has before that spent six years in seo and is a little bit more of a generalist and comes from a publishing background and knows how to write content and I paired them up with a freelancer to drive the restructuring of the account for Kuru. And then um, they're going to run alongside the internal employee and sort of make sure that everything stabilizes and then actually act as kind of a mentor for, for a little bit of a period of time as well. Because two years isn't a ton of paid search expertise, right? Um, so I get the best of both worlds there. I get an, a, a real senior level expert who can almost act as a... a uh, an expert in a way that I can't in paid, you know, specific to how the platform works or what different types of bid management work. And they, I mean, they're eating, living and breathing paid search. And I think that if you hire a generalist for something like that, that's where that's the downfall. That's the pitfall is you you wind up with someone who sure they can they can kind of dig in and understand a little bit, but they don't know the ins and outs of what's been tried or the fact that Google made a change in the way that this bid type actually operates. And it used to operate this way and now it operates that way. Um, so I think that's the real risk there. If you're a really small business and you've only got budget for one person, hiring a generalist to manage all that is 
almost the only solution unless you're going to go outsource that to an agency. That's where I see a ton of value in an agency working with a really small company like that, right? But when you get to a certain revenue and profit stream sort of mentality when you go, okay, I can afford to hire a team of five, six, 10 people. Now the question is which 10 people or which five people are going to add the most possible value given where we are today and where we're going to go in the next 12 months. Yeah, it's interesting that the channel, but I, I see that a lot too. In the past, I've worked with um, a couple people where they would always have either a junior person or in some cases, um, I had one that worked at multiple startups and would always have a very junior or usually an intern. Mm. And we had weekly calls that would actually turn into like bi-weekly calls. And we would literally just spend that time going over what that person did. If I found anything from an SEO standpoint, here's the content they were working on, or I would being the SEO expert, work on something, do two examples, walk this junior person through have them do a couple, double check it, and then have them do the other 10 hours of work. Yeah. I, that again, seems that like... super unproductive to me. Like I, <laughs> that seems like a lot of work to try and get some, I just, I don't, you know, I would much rather just hire an expert who knows what they're doing. And I mean, levels of expertise. Well, I mean, do you really, really want to pay um, a consultant or an agency hourly rates for 10 to 20 hours to write meta descriptions? No, no, for, for something like that. <laughs> that's what they were doing. Yeah. Or they were going through and, and cleaning up stuff that yeah. were just... Like, you don't want to pay, you know, that hourly rate for 20 hours a week when you can pay someone for a month to do five different projects. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I think that it's... It, it, it just... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think about... I mean thinking about the Kuru experience that we've had so far. So I hired a paid search person that was relatively junior in terms of total paid search expertise, more of a mid-level paid social guy. Hired a copywriter who's seven years of journalism experience here locally in Salt Lake City, and she's getting up to speed and, um, uh, you know, e-com guy. Um, and, and now actually just <laughs> on Monday, we're starting with a new SEO freelancer who I happen to know very well and became available. And I, um, grabbed her as quickly as I could and we came to an agreement and um, finalized all that stuff. And so, you know, she's going to be taking over some of the SEO stuff that I was kind of trying to do. And so now I've got a full-time person I can lean on that channel and it frees me up to go do other things, right? Focus on other ideas, um, sort of audition other vendors, think about other channels. Um, and you've got someone who can really manage and own. At the end of the day, I want someone who you know, we track every single channel, the full funnel of every channel. Every single week we update, we pull all that information out of GA and we throw it into a Google Sheet and we look at the full funnel. And we basically ask ourselves and we meet and talk about every channel and we say, okay, what substantially did we change in the last week to try and move the needle? Um, what was the hypothesis of what we thought was going to happen when we did that? And what was the outcome? And so if CPCs change, I, want to, I don't want to be surprised by that four months down the line. I want to have that conversation every single week. And so... The end goal is to really hire someone who's going to own every, and literally be the single throat to choke over every single one of those channels that's driving X percent of revenue in the business, right? I think specialists tend to know how to do those things in a way. I mean, eventually a generalist would learn it. Um, and the other piece of that, though, in my opinion, is generally speaking, well, if you were a junior marketer and you came to me and said, how do I develop a career here, it, 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 you know, or how do I develop a marketing career in digital? 
my general advice is to be a specialist in something, know it inside and out, uh, become really, really good at that, advance your career a level or two, and then try to level up and become a T-shaped marketer and figure out the ancillary or the adjacent spaces. You know, get really good at analytics or get really good at this or really good at that. Um, and that's how you become a valuable generalist. Their valuable generalist is either so junior that they just really have no idea what they're doing and you're just, you're dictating tasks and they're doing work, which is what, like an outsourced, um, uh, almost like a, an EA, right? <laughs> oh, just go update, update meta descriptions. Here's how you do it. And any, you know, my 16 year old could do that. I love that you said that, Sean, because um, it gives validation to me because that's what I've been preaching to people yeah. for years. Yeah, like, but the know. problem is everybody wants to be the generalist because yeah. <laughs> the specialty is where you actually do the work, <laughs> you know, and so nobody so wants scary. to do the work. They all want to come in as a strategist over the top and drive decisions, and you're more than likely not quite yet equipped to be able to do that until you're an expert in one or more channels. Yep. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Oh, no. I was just letting him finish. Sean, Sean can rant here and there over the years. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I and we haven't even had a beer or two, and he can still rant for a little while. <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on some stories between the two of you guys. I feel like that would be an episode in and of itself. But It's a anyway. couple, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the next one would be for Sean is to prioritize. Like, how do you prioritize roles? Like, and does it change? So when you go into, um, what was it, Kelly, the metal, the one company, um, or Sears, or even now, when you first started a, somewhere, how do you approach prioritizing roles? And does that change in a year or two as you, as as you learn which channels are important, or maybe as some come and go? Yeah, it's it's been so the way that I like to think about it. Um, so actually, when I uh, before I even joined um, Kuru here, I met with our CEO, um, and he asked me. I mean, he had his vision of what he thought the team would need, and he asked me to do the same thing. So what we did was kind of architected almost an org chart, like a future-looking. Hey, this is what a mature marketing organization, you know, driving on performance for X revenue type of a, um, you know, a volume business would look like. And then you plug into that, the talent that you have, and you start to look back and you assess and you say, you know, I, I always think of it in sort of, you know, big buckets. So big bucket A is the paid channels and inside of paid, you've got paid social, paid search, shopping engine, blah, 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 right? All these different places where you're spending money to make money. And you got um, owned and earned channels as sort of the next big grouping, right? You got email, you got SEO, you've got all these other sort of things on site optimization, you've got UGC and, and, and other, you know, digital PR and traditional PR. Um, and, you know, what among all of those things requires a full time role versus something that can be outsourced? And you just look and say, okay, given the current maturity of each one of these channels, how urgent is it that we do X or Y or Z? Or what are my capabilities based on my network, based on the fact that I know Dave and Matt, and I know Avalanche Media, and I know these guys? Can I go outsource and get consulting help, or can I, you know, get some freelancer to to pick up X or Y or Z channel? And so, you know, SEO frankly was a bit of a um, non-priority with with regard to Kuru because we had an external freelancer who'd done work and because I was coming into the, into the, into the, the business. And so 
I could you know have those conversations and, and drive on projects and I mean there was a couple of things that that um, freelancer has done for us we more than doubled the traffic in, in, inside the first two or th three months that I was there so that seemed sort of like well taken care of and then the, the priorities were definitely paid search and paid social because that's where we were spending the bulk of our money with Facebook and Google and Bing. Um, we wanted to make sure we were getting the most possible out of that investment. And it felt like there was an opportunity there. Um, but you have to you know, prioritize that in relationship to the overall health of the business. Like what, you know, what kind of profit margins are you looking at? What's the budget look like? I mean, I came in at the end of Q, you know, Q3, early Q4, and right around the time where you traditionally go and plan the next year's budget. And I didn't really have a good, have a great understanding of what were the main drivers were of the business at this point in time. I can't wait to sort of think about 2021 planning at the end of 2020, because I'll know so much more about what the drivers are of Kuru's business and have some big hypotheses and big bets out there of like, what's the next thing, right? Like right now we're trying to quote unquote fix digital. There's all these things and all these activities we're doing and you've got this huge list of prioritized projects that we're running through the, the various um, you know, team members. But what are the big bets we're gonna go place in, in terms of big brand awareness campaigns and TV and radio and out of home and like, how do we really, if the goal of five years from now is for every American when they think of foot pain to think of Dr. Scholl's and Kuru footwear, what's the path to get there? Like that's not gonna happen overnight. And so what are the things we need to go experiment with and, and put in place? And, and what's, what's the, the tech stack look like to even be able to appreciate and evaluate whether some of those things are working, right? from a fractional attribution model platform or like what's, what are the pieces that are missing? So it's not just a talent evaluation. It's also a tech stack evaluation. And I'm guessing that you, you guys, you know, it made me think about this when you were talking about it, because I actually use orthotics. I, I used to go to a doctor until I did the, the machine that's in the Walmarts or the Walgreens or yeah. whatever. And so it taught, it, it got me wondering, like, like you guys even have to think beyond just digital and like, what you do in situations like that as well, yeah. so you so you become that household name because when you said that it clicked with me because I'm like yeah, that's who I think of because instead of going and paying my copay and the doctor all that money and then a two hundred dollar pair of orthotics that aren't comfortable, I go and I get yep. one from this uh, Doctor Scholl's thing that works just as well for forty nine bucks and it yep. lasts me a year or two or however long and and you know I'm I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many decisions that need to be made about that, right, man? I mean, the, it's the, the you know we're a D to C company today. You can only buy Kuru footwear um, on our website, and we've got a, a real small sort of retail that sits in front of our corporate headquarters in Salt Lake City. But you know, in, in the future, what's that look and feel like? You know, what, what are the goals and objectives of the business? And those are really general business decisions and business strategies that the CEO and I, I were having this conversation all the time around what's next, you know? Yeah. If we could get to X revenue or X volume or what does that look and feel like for, for us? You know, we don't sell on Amazon, we don't sell on eBay, we don't say any, sell anywhere that we can't fully control the, 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 the whole customer experience for you. Um, we don't want to trust that to anyone else other than us because, and it's a really strong customer experience right now. I mean, returning, we have free shipping and free returns and free exchanges. That return process is phenomenally easy with us. I love it. Um, I, I don't trust that someone else could handle that necessarily quite as well. Uh, but what's next? You know, yeah. do we go through retail? Um, do we do owned 
owned retail that we own end to end. Like who knows what, what the future all holds here. Um, you know, we're fixing all the things that need to be fixed and we're trying to strategize on what's going to drive us to the next level of where we're trying to go. Very cool. You know, we're, we're on a mission to eliminate foot pain around the globe. That's not going to happen overnight. And it, and it, you know, we've got to pick the right bets to go and, and really drive on to, to get to that, you know, the BHAG, the big hairy audacious goal that we've got. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, Dave. Well, I think I got one more, and this might be a bit of a segue, but we were talking about building teams and, and hiring and stuff. You've probably looked at more resumes just this year <laughs> than Matt and I have in our lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll phrase this because it's kind of a two-part question. For someone applying for something, like say I've got six years of SEO and I want to be your SEO because you have an SEO role. Yeah. You know, that's one thing. Yep. But say I'm also, then there's another role you have open and it's a digital marketing manager and it's overseeing all paid, not just, you know, anything paid related. So yep. your shopping feeds, your agency or people, you know, the people doing, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn or TikTok and everything and across the board. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a management position, but they've always been an executor. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference for what you look for in the resume? Um, or are, do you want to break that into two separate things of how you approach just like an executor versus someone that's trying to move up in either up and over multiple roles or just up up in general? Yeah, so I'll give you the one magic thing that I think is important in both of those, um, and then I'll talk about how the man I would expect the manager resume to be a little bit different. When I asked, um, I said resume, resume, but you could even do interview, interview too. If it's, yeah, if it's I think all it's the one. same. Yeah, you're conveying information, right? And so I think it's crucial as a digital marketer to understand that your resume needs to communicate the business impact that you have been able to drive. And that tends to be, an, the, the, the language of business is numbers. And if I see a resume with no numbers on it, it immediately hits the round file. I don't care what your role was. I don't care who you thought you knew. None of that's important to me. If you're submitting a resume for a digital marketer role, especially a channel manager or a channel executor, whether it's SEO, it's paid search, you need to have bullet points that say, uh, I drove X outcome via Y project with you know, ABC metrics, whatever that is. You're either saving money or you're growing a channel or you grew a KPI. There was some KPI that was measurable. You took it from this to this by doing these, these specific things. That needs to be present in both of those resumes, no doubt, or in both of those interviews. But you'll, you'll honestly, if you're not on your resume, you're never going to get an interview from me. Um, I had this conversation recently with someone who was pretty senior, like, like you and I, Dave, and their resume was completely devoid of any numbers. And I, this person asked me to take another look one day, and I'm like, honestly? And I wrote a long, like, hey, you cared enough to ask me to take another look. That, that to me means you probably want feedback. If I'm going too far in giving you this feedback, I apologize up front, but here it is. <laughs> like, I would expect to see numbers on a resume for this level of experience. And your resume is completely devoid of that. I think the next thing is that for the person that's interviewing for the leadership position, maybe they've never done that before. Or if they have, certainly I would expect to, to, to have some information on there about your leadership, your management style, your management philosophy. What, what are the things that you think of when you think of managing people? Or even if you, 
have not yet done that, talk about why you want to do it. Talk about why it's important to you, not just from a career development perspective to make more money or to do this thing, but how it fits with your persona, how it fits with your lifelong objectives, um, why it matters to you personally beyond just making more money or I've always felt myself a leader and therefore I want to lead, right? Like I want to connect that to your heart and soul in some way um, and understand what's driving you to want to make that step because quite frankly, many people who do job X are ill-equipped or not really well suited to become a manager of X function. The classic example is a salesperson. <laughs> you know, some of the very best salespeople that were used to you know, spend, you know, I spent the first 15 years of my career knocking on doors on lawyers and selling. It's, it's the classic example of like the person who's really super competitive and really, really great at sometimes is a terrible sales manager. Like it takes a different set of skills to be a really good manager in that world. I mean, you really become a teacher uh, in that world. And that comp those competitive juices can actually prevent you from being a great teacher or a great communicator or whatever it may be. It's a level of empathy that sometimes is missing or what have you. Does that help? It does. Well, and especially in an in-house role. Um, so you're, I, mean, I was laughing when you were talking about how 20 or 50% of the, the agency's time was in meetings. And that's usually <laughs> at the fault of the account director, project manager, but also the client. Yeah. Like, I, you, do we really need to have an hour long stand up meeting where we, you know, shoot the, shoot the stuff for 30 minutes and then talk for 10 more minutes. And then, you know, do we really need five people on this call, um, every week? <laughs> no. Um, but the way an agency gets like either upsells or anything is by the main contact and their boss and the boss's boss hitting their numbers. Right. And internally, if you have a win, but you can't explain it through KPIs, through any sort of internal metrics, and you can't make a slide or you can't make an, e you know, an email that sells it and shows you did X, this team that you managed did X, this team that you're on did X, and this is what happened, and this is the result. You'll, you, if you can't explain that internally and you can't explain that on a resume, you know, you're never gonna be able to upsell and get more budget. You're never gonna be able to become a manager and be that person in the room fighting for that budget for your team. Sure. Yeah. The other thing that's important too is to read the job description really closely and look at the things not just that, to spam you my resume, really? Yeah, it honestly, <laughs> it's so true. Like that's that's you, you need to custom tailor your resume, but also read between the lines and try and figure out if you can if there are cultural implications or like what's the culture you think is is going to be like, and you know, answer the question around um, what is this person looking to? I mean, it, it's it comes naturally for me because I've hired so many people. Um, so you can, if you read a, a, a job description, you can kind of get a sense of what the priorities are. I mean, the, the, the reality is most job descriptions are looking for unicorns these days, not most, but like when you get to a mid-level or higher, oftentimes they'll say, I want you to have this many years of experience with this specific tool and this specific channel. And it's like, well, you're really narrowing your, your opportunity there. Um, you know, I never, I would never forget the, the, a call I fielded from an executive recruiter that was, that Target was looking for someone that owned the the homepage website navigation as well as SEO, and they wanted like a masters of library. So I'm like, you're there's three people in the country, and the two of them work at Amazon, 
Good luck finding that person who knows that what much about SEO as well as you know taxonomy. That is the weirdest request. It was the yeah, most bizarre thing. It doesn't shock me, but it is the weirdest. I thing. literally said to her, I said, you know, if if you're looking for someone like tell me, prioritize these things for me. Like if if SEO is more important and you're looking for someone who can figure out these other things, then I'm definitely in the conversation. If it's inverted, then we should stop talking right now because there's just no way. That's that's a, such a, a purple unicorn. You're just never gonna. F Good luck. I wish you the very best of luck. And like, let's let's not waste each other's time. But that's also and that's happening so frequently today that these job descriptions are so thorough and so long that like here's these fifty and and in all honesty, like I run the other direction. I don't care that you whether you have a college degree or not. I really don't. <laughs> I care about work experience and representing and being inquisitive, but also being competitive and being a great culture fit. But, and having done X channel work, I don't care what tool you use to do it. I don't care what your process was. I don't care who trained you. I can work with all of that. Like the rest of that is somewhat simple. Um, in my experience anyway. Very cool. Well, um, I really appreciate you taking this time and, and chatting with us about all this, Sean. I, I know that uh, you were recording some other stuff today and, we're, you know, you got a busy day, but I do appreciate you taking the time and, and chatting with us about in-house stuff. So. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Matt. I mean, anything for Dave and, um, you know, <laughs> we, we go way back. So I think I owe him probably a lot more than this, but uh, it was great to be with you guys. I'm glad whenever I used to drive up 47... When you still lived out that way up to visit my mom, I was always like, you know, we could just bring some teepee and Sean. <laughs> His kids are totally blamed. Did he never know it was us? Oh, absolutely, funny. absolutely. Well, well, one of these days when this all I'm craziness sure like half a mile off that road too, and I probably could have found your house in two minutes. No doubt. When this when this craziness ends and we start doing conferences again, let's make sure we get together and do it upright. It's only been. Thir thir when did I meet you? 13 years ago now? Yeah. Time flies, man. Something like that. You're getting old. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it again um, for Dave and Sean and Matt. And we appreciate you guys uh, joining us on uh, this latest episode. And uh, we'll talk to you guys on the next one. Bye, all. See ya.